All right. How y'all doing today? Awesome. Y'all may be seated. Oh, you already have already been seated. Good. I want to welcome you all to Fruit Cove today. It is good to be back with you. It is, uh, it is always a privilege to come home. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, Poppy gave a, a Poppy, Pastor Tim gave a, um, gave a, a fantastic uh, introduction into me. If you don't know me, um, my name is Patrick. Uh, I am, I'm the important thing you need to know is that I'm married to Allison. That is uh, the important part. Uh, the other part of that is I was uh, uh, on staff at this church uh, for five years. This is my first job right out of seminary. It was nepotism done right, I suppose. Um, uh, Pastor, I'm going to call him Poppy. I have not called him Tim or Pastor Tim in the last six and a half years, okay? Uh, so, uh, so just understand, we gotta get that, that out of the way now. Uh, but it is, uh, so I was, we were on staff for five years, did a singles ministry for a little while, did college ministry and high school ministry. Uh, got to uh, marry off a ton of Fruco kids uh, who have uh, who, who kind of came together and uh, they're now having babies. Uh, we actually had a couple of our kids that, uh, um, that refer to us as bonus grandparents to their child. Um, folks, I'm 40, okay? Uh, I, 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 like, like cool uncle, like I'm the funkle, that would be like, like what I would go for. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, uh, it is a privilege to be back with you. We, we consider this um, uh, to, be, to be home. Uh, and so to be able to come back to, uh, home is always uh, fun. We're going to pray for, uh, uh, for Poppy as he uh, heads out on mission uh, later this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be praying for him. Uh, but in the meantime, if you, if you wouldn't mind, if, y'all, if you are the interceding, praying kind of person, uh, if you wouldn't mind uh, just shooting up a, a quick prayer for me. Um, um, the crud hit our, our household this week. Uh, and, uh, and so with the three-inch layer thick uh, of pollen that you have on your hoods, uh, all of that has been in my lungs. And so, uh, so my voice uh, is struggling a little bit today, uh, but I brought, uh, brought tea in my, my Charles Spurgeon mug uh, up here. So um, between the power of Charles Spurgeon and the Holy Spirit, we are going to have a good time together today. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, um, Nehemiah chapter 2 uh, it's uh, Nehemiah. Uh, we're going to be uh, parachuting into a story today. I also want to welcome uh, our, uh, our guests that are listening uh, on the radio this morning uh, on Jack's Country. And so uh, if you are not currently driving and have your phone, feel free to grab uh, your uh, device or your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 2. Um, so cards on the table. I preached this sermon uh, about... Um, uh, three or four weeks ago at Fort Caroline, where I'm currently the interim pastor. Uh, and it's funny, as I was, I didn't think about it as I was studying and writing the sermon, but as I began to, uh, to preach it at Fort Caroline, I began to think that this, um, that this message would actually be something that would be um, very appropriate uh, for uh, another church that I know and love, uh, who is entering into or who has entered into a time uh, of transition. Uh, and so, uh, so I thought of y'all, and uh, so when, uh, when, when uh, Pastor Tim was going out, of t- we found out he was going out of town, uh, and, uh, and he asked if I would be willing to, uh, to preach, uh, I thought this would be a great time uh, to share it with you. Um, I know Tim's still here, but y'all are kind of, you've kind of entered into uh, an, an interim time. Uh, he, you, know, you have a search team that I hope you're praying for every day. Because uh, it's a daunting task to try to think about eight billion people in the world, and you are are working on finding the person that the one person out of eight billion that God has called uh, to come be the shepherd here at Fruit Cove, and so you've you've kind of entered into this interim time, uh, and so I know probably some of you maybe feel some of that unsettledness. It's a it's it's a feeling that many of y'all haven't had to experience for the last three decades. Do you know how rare it is for a pastor to stay at a church for three decades, thirty? years? years. It's awesome. You guys have been absolutely blessed uh, to have, to have uh, Tim and Pam be with you. Um, but 
as God begins to close that chapter of Fruit Cove's life uh, and begins to embark on the next chapter, some of you may feel strange. Uh, and you probably, in the midst of that unsettledness, probably comes uh, a list of, of questions. Um, what, should, what should y'all be doing as a church? Like, like does ministry kind of just stop until you wait for the next guy to get here? Uh, what, what are you going to do? What, why, why would you want to start anything new? Given a new pastor may come in and make a bunch of changes, and you're like, man, changes? I didn't know that happened at a Baptist church. Yeah, it happens. Like, what's he going to be like? What's his personality going to be like? Is he going to play drums like Tim does? <clears throat> what's his wife going to be like? Will his children be unholy terrors? Like some interim or some preacher's kids can be. I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about Dave. <laughs> does he love upward? Does he, does he still want to do missions? Is he missionally focused? See, you've got questions. Even if you didn't know you have questions, you've got questions. And so for those questions, I would actually uh, point you to Jonathan at fruitcove.com, by the way. Uh, that'd be, be a great place to ask your questions. And here's the thing. Questions are okay. Uh, and and, and, and may, we may try to answer a few of those questions today. Probably some of them were not. But what we're going to do is this message actually came out of a series um, that I called uh, Preparing for Next. Uh, and... And, and so we're going to parachute into the middle of the story today. So I want to give you a little bit of background before we go uh, too much further. Uh, and then we're going, to, uh, we're going to unpack God's word together uh, today. So, um, so, so this guy named Nehemiah, he was a Jew. And he, was, um, he was, uh, held a title with the pagan king whose name was Artaxerxes. Now, uh, 70 years before, actually more than 70 years before, uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in and, ra- and ransacked Jerusalem, took God's people. And this is part of God's judgment on Israel from turning away from, from him. And so uh, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and to uh, the Babylonians to come in and to ransack Jerusalem, took God's people and took them away to Babylon where they spent seven decades, 70 years uh, in exile, uh, uh, subservient to the king, uh, things like that. And so after 70 years, uh, the God's people were released to go home. And as they went home, uh, they found Jerusalem to be in much the same condition that it was when they left. The walls had been broken down, the gates had been burned, uh, the temple had all but been destroyed. And they were going to have to come back into that. And so many of, of God's people died in exile when the remnant returned home, there weren't very many that were able to really rebuild things. And so they did what people do. They just sort of survived and they adapted and they, they, they just kind of stepped into life and they built their lives in the city, of, uh, the city of Jerusalem around the rubble, the burning, the rubble, the brokenness. And, they, they, and you know, they saw it every time that they left and they went to, you know, whether they went to the bank or whether they went to Publix or where, wherever they went at, at any given time, that was a joke, it's okay. Uh, every time that they, they went somewhere, they left their homes, they saw the brokenness, the constant reminder of what their sin cost them. And so Nehemiah did not leave to go back to to Jerusalem with his people. He stayed as cupbearer to the king. Now, that's a very important thing. The cupbearer would actually sample all of the food and all of the drink for the king. And if the cupbearer didn't kill over and die, it means that the food or drink wasn't poison and he was good to go. The king was good good to go to eat. It was a very important position that, that Nehemiah held. And so he stayed 
And we're going to see why he stayed here in just a moment. Because uh, over time, he began to hear uh, reports coming out of Jerusalem about the condition of the walls, about the condition of the city, about the condition of the people. And it began to trouble him that his people were living in such brokenness and disrepair. And so he begins to pray, God, would you, would you show me a way that we can rebuild these walls? Will you, he, he, God began to give Nehemiah a vision, a, a desire, it's burning white hot passion to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that, that his people might be, might be able to live lives in safety and sanctity and security uh, once again. And so he, he goes to the king. And, and so the king was actually the one. The, the, the Jews had begun to rebuild the walls. Uh, and, and, uh, and some of the people that were around, the Syrians, the Arabs, um, <clears throat> some of the others had, who were, had surrounded uh, uh, Israel, had, uh, they saw that the walls of Jerusalem were, were starting to be, to be repaired. And they didn't like it. And so uh, they went to the king. And they, they went to, to the Babylonian king, Artaxerxes, and said, hey, listen, these people are, are, are creating all this noise, all this dust, all this, all this construction. Y'all know what that's like in St. John's County, right? You know, like we can't travel on the roads. The traffic's terrible. Uh, could you just put a, a stop order on, uh, on this building? We don't need this kind of drudgery in our lives. And he said, fine, do whatever. So Nehemiah understands that he's going to go to the king and He's going to say, King, you know, King Artaxerxes, I, I, I want to do this. I feel that God's leading me to do this. And as he does it, he knows that this is not something you do to a king. You don't go and so forcefully um, uh, assert your ideas and your vision onto, onto a pagan king. That's how, you, that's how you get dead, by the way. And so Nehemiah goes to the king after praying and fasting and he says, King, this is, what, this is what I need. This is what I feel needs to happen. Um, these are the things I need. I need supplies. I need letters for travel, all of these things. And, and the king just goes, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Nehemiah's, okay, fine. And so he takes off and he goes to Jerusalem. And that's where we're gonna parachute in today. Nehemiah is going to arrive in Jerusalem and he's going to inspect the walls. And that's what we're going to, to look at today. The, the point of today's message, the big idea, if you wanna call it that, uh, is this, that anytime God places a desire for advancement in the hearts of believers, Satan is gonna do whatever he can. He is gonna place whatever obstacles he can in the way to distract and to deter the Lord's work from getting done. Vision without commitment is nothing more than a dream. Understanding that, let's, uh, let's, let's open God's word together. Nehemiah chapter two, all right, so we, you've caught up. We've, we've gone through, through Nehemiah chapter one, first eight verses of Nehemiah chapter two. We're gonna pick it up in Nehemiah chapter two, starting in verse nine. And then we're going to read through verse 20. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, uh, but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring, to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem. 
the, that were broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them by the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. And also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, her uh, servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us, saying, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us build. Well, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build but you have no portion or rights or claim in Jerusalem. Church, three things I want us to look at today very quickly because there's a lot to do in a short time to get there. Um, three inescapable truths I want us to see about moving from a vision to reality. And, and before we, we, get, we get into those three points, it's, it's understandable for, you know, just because Pastor Tim is retiring doesn't mean that God no longer has a vision for Fruit Cove. You know that, right? Like, like, the pastor, a pastor once told me, I mean, it may have been Tim, I don't know, uh, once told me that, that every ministry, every pastorate that I take is an interim pastorate. Should Jesus tarry, someone will come along behind me. It may be 10 years, five years, 20 years, 30 years. But really all we're doing is keeping the seat safe and warm uh, for the next guy. And so um, all ministry for us as pastors is interim ministry. So Pastor Tim is gonna retire, move into the next uh, phase of his ministry, whatever that looks like. Um, but God still has a plan for Fruit Cove. God still has a vision for Fruit Cove. There are still people moving in droves to St. John's County and church. Someone's gotta reach them and why not y'all? I think it should be. Fruit Cove, that, that, and I would love to see revival start in this room and spread out through St. John's County. But three inescapable truths as we move from vision to reality. Number one is this, is that implementing vision requires discretion in the planning. Implementing vision requires discretion in the planning. What I've learned in ministry is, that, is this, that when God gives you a vision, he doesn't give you everything all at once. He, he, he asks us to step out in faith. He, he's not gonna give you the whole book. He may give you a chapter or maybe two, and then he wants you to take that first step of faith and step out into what he has for you. If Nehemiah had shared his dream with the Israelites, it, it, it would have been complete. He didn't just waltz into Jerusalem and say, hey guys, guess what? I'm coming from, from Babylon. I wanna tell you all the good things. But also the problem is if you give if you give a group of people, especially Southern Baptists, an incomplete vision, many times they'll fill in the gaps themselves. Many times with our own preferences kind of put in uh, as opposed to maybe what the Lord desires. I gotta take a, take a drink, on. Look at verse 12. Nehemiah knew this. And so we see that, that he goes to Jerusalem and he was there, but it says that I arose in the night I and a few men with me. He didn't take everybody. He only took a few people. 
uh, and he didn't take a whole bunch of animals, a whole bunch of pack mules. He took the horse or the, he took the mule that he was on and he began to, 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 to ride the exterior walls. He wanted to see the brokenness for himself. Before he, he shared with the, the Israelites what the vision uh, that God had given him way back in Iraq looked like. He wanted to, to, to see what he was actually dealing with. He did the secret reconnaissance with only a few people around him. Look at verse 13. It says, he went out by night to, by, the, uh, by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. It says he inspected the walls. <clears throat> if you don't think about it, you just gloss right over it. But in the Hebrew, that word inspected is very important. Um, it, it, it gives the idea of a doctor who is looking at a wound uh, that, he wants to, to, that he wants to treat and he wants to see what it's all about before he goes in and just starts cutting and hacking and, and do, doing whatever. When I was nine years old, I actually have a um, I actually have a scar on my wrist. When I was nine years old, I was actually fairly thin. I was like actually a skinny kid. Uh, well, not skinny. I, was, I wore the husky section of, of, of Kmart, but, <clears throat> but I was thinner, much thinner than I am now. And, um, and, and I used to love, as part of that is because I used to love to run around with my friends and play hide and go seek. Um, one night we were playing hide and go seek. We were playing it in my, in my yard, front yard and backyard in Orange Park. And, uh, and, and I, as I was, uh, I finally saw the guy who was it was chasing around another buddy of mine. And so the goal of hide and seek is you want to take off and make your way to the base before the guy who's it tags you. Uh, and so I saw my chance and I, I broke out of the, the bushes that I was hiding in. Uh, and, uh, and I made a beeline uh, for my garage door, which was the base. Ryan, my buddy, sees me and takes off after me. And I'm going, oh no. And so I start running. And I make my way all the way to the garage door. And I'm, he's getting closer all the moment. Are, are you, you feel the anticipation and the, and the like, I mean, like I was, I, was, I was almost dead. You don't understand how important this is. And I'm straining out, I'm reaching out, and as I look back, I'm looking at Ryan who's getting ever closer, and when I did, my hand went up a little higher than I had it before. Now, we had an older garage door that had the window panes uh, in them, and my hand went straight through that window pane. And I, I was so nervous that I pulled it out, and when I pulled my hand out, it actually cut about a three-inch cut that nicked the vein in my wrist. And as I was wearing a white shirt, and as, the, as the, the blood began to splatter onto my shirt, I thought, maybe we need to get this looked at. <laughs> and so I walk inside. My mom was a nurse. She worked at St. Vincent's Riverside. And as I walked in, uh, I told my dad, I'm nine years old, mind you. I'm trying not to cry. And I was, I was a good boy. I was a good boy. I was, uh, I was being, being so good. I walked in. I'm holding, I'm holding my arm. And I said, I said, Dad, I think we need to go to the hospital. And he says, why? And I said, because of this. And I, and I take my hand away, and blood's just doing this. I don't know, man, I've been that bad, but it makes for a better story. And, um, and so, so I, I, I told the story one time, but blood was squirting on the wall, and I thought, I thought that probably didn't happen, but it sure does sound good. Um, and so we take off to, to St. Vincent's Riverside. The doctor comes walking in. Uh, my mom was on, was on call that, or was on her shift that night, so she comes in, uh, asks my dad why, why she can't be gone for one hour without me doing something to myself. <clears throat> Doctor comes in, he says, my name's Dr. So-and-so, we're gonna take care of you today. And he sits down and he begins to touch the wound. And he's looking at it, he's pinching it, he's trying to figure out how best to take care of it. And I said, I said, doctor, I'm so glad to see you. Um, uh, have you done a, a lot of these before? And he goes, man, this is my first day. And I go, oh no! And I start crying. 
And he says, no, 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 I've done a lot of these. And sure enough, he, he deadened it and he stitched it up and there's still a little scar here on my wrist. But he took so much time to make sure that, that every crease was put back in the right place so that, that the scar that was left would be as little as possible. That's what, what's what the scriptures say that Nehemiah was doing. Is he's riding the exterior, looking at the rubble. He's inspecting it. He wanted to see what part of the foundation was usable. What was gonna need to be, be rebuilt? What's the best path forward? You gotta have a plan, church. You, you can't, you can't just, just see the growth and say, we're gonna go throw a church down over there and just hope that it works. You, you gotta... You gotta have a, a plan. And so we see, in, if you skip down to verse 16, it says, the officials, did not know, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. After inspecting the walls and the gates and getting firsthand knowledge, Nehemiah begins to merge the abstract vision that God had given him with the reality of the situation, and he, and he formed a plan. When I stood on this stage 10 years ago in June, and I resigned as a high school and college pastor, I was going to a church in Northwest Alabama to be my first lead pastorate. And one thing, when I had my first Q&A with the church in Alabama, they asked me, what's your vision for, Russell, for Russellville? And I said, I have no idea. Like, I just got here. Like, I don't know y'all. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're, I don't know what, I, I don't know. I need to be here for a little while. I know that God's given us a passion to be people who fulfill the Great Commission, but how that fits within the context of Russellville, Alabama, I don't know. Your next pastor is going to show up and he's gonna have bits and pieces of a vision and a passion that God has already given him for Fruit Cove, but he's not gonna know how to proceed until he gets here and sees the opportunities firsthand. But let me ask you a question. How many of you, a straw poll, if you're driving and listening to this, um, just raise your hand safely, best I can say. Um, how many of you feel in this room, you feel that, that God's desire for Fruit Cove is for this church to be passionately reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you throw your hand up? That's good, that's... Need to probably talk to some of y'all after the service, but um, that, was a, that was actually a pretty good percentage. Your mission, church, regardless of who occupies the pastor's office, your mission is the Great Commission. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh, do you hear that, Patrick? He just said that we're just this broken down old church, that, that we're just a, a hump, a, a hunk of rubble and, and, and brokenness. And he doesn't think that we're good at all. I'm, you know what? I'm glad he's, he's gone. I never liked him anyway, right? No, quite the contrary. I love this church. Your missional, biblical, Christ-centered, community-focused. But that doesn't mean that there aren't places where you could do it better. And God has given your pastor a vision. Let me tell you what's not going to happen. There is exactly zero chance that your next pastor is gonna come in and say things are perfect, let's not change a thing. He's gonna come in with vision and church, I love you, but you have got to let that man lead. God has equipped him. So his spiritual authority comes from God, not from a search committee and not from a congregational vote. 
I once heard a quote, somebody anonymously said that nothing touches our lives that hasn't first penetrated God's heart and passed through his loving hand. God is sovereign over all, including your next pastor. He's gonna come in, he's gonna listen a lot in the first few months, he's gonna see what's going on, and he's gonna beg and plead with God to merge the vision that he's already given him with the, with the reality of the situation on the ground here. And then, only then, he's going to encourage you to unbuckle the belt that you have wrapped around you in the pew and to get your hands up and get busy being about the gospel. Implementing vision requires discretion in the planning, but it also requires uh, decisiveness in the execution. Look at verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Nehemiah pulls no punches. He didn't, but he didn't yell at them. He didn't deride them. He didn't isolate them. People make such a big deal about pronouns in our culture today. Look at the pronouns. In verse 17, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Nehemiah saw it, but he needed them to see it. I think so often we see things that are broken down in, in our churches and, and over time we just sort of get numb to it. We just don't see it anymore. We just look past it. We walk by it. That if we don't acknowledge it, maybe it's not there. But Nehemiah had a sense of urgency. And your next pastor is gonna come in and he's gonna help you see where the work needs to be done. Look at the end of verse 18. He says, let us, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Before I accepted my first lead pastorate, I was talking with an older pastor and I asked him, it was an associational event, and I asked him, I said, I said, Pastor, what? You know, what's one thing that you wish you could go back and tell 30-year-old you uh, before he did like 40 years of ministry? What's one thing you could go back and tell him? He said, he said, son, faith can move mountains, but don't be surprised when God hands you a shovel. There comes a point, church, that you're gonna pray and you're gonna pray and you're gonna pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray, but there's going to come a time, church, when, when we have to grab a shovel, get our hands dirty and get busy. We all wanna know who God is and what God is about. What, what, is, what does it look like to be about the business of the Father? But Oswald Chambers once said that God will never reveal more truth about himself to you until you have already obeyed what you know already. Nehemiah led a previously apathetic and downtrodden people to rally around the vision that God gave him to, to secure his people. Let me tell you what God wants. He wants his people to be in the right place, secure, to do the work of the gospel unhindered. That doesn't always mean safe, but he wants you to be in the right place to do what he wants you to do at the right time. Some of you have different ministries. You have different giftings. You have a place within this church. Maybe even God is, is prompting your heart, maybe to even to leave this church. Sorry, I'm gonna explain. <laughs> God may be prompting you to leave this church, to sell everything you have and go into foreign, the foreign mission field to take the gospel to the nations as an extension of Fruit Cove Baptist. 
What a privilege that you and your gifting, and you may be looking around, you go, man, who is he talking to? I'm talking to you. God has gifted you to do the good work in Northwest St. John's County. But you gotta get busy. You can't just wait for your next pastor to get here. But I love what we see that, that Nehemiah goes and he very carefully inspects every piece of rubble. He wanted to know what was usable. Church, sometimes you have, to, you have to admit to yourselves that we are not as perfect as we think we are. That God has a greater plan. Sometimes that plan, just like it was for the Israelites, that plan for God's people involved them going into exile for 70 years, for the walls to be broken down and the gates to be burned. Maybe, just maybe, so they could come back and they could work together to rebuild the walls and be a people who are closer to God than they were when they started. Paul says that, he, that on this side of heaven, we see through a mirror darkly. But God is above all that. And he sees the work that he's doing at this church. And even though you may not understand it, God understands it, he sees it, he's ordained it, and he is working all of these things out for his glory and for your good. But implementing vision requires decisiveness in the execution. You see the trouble that we're in, and he got the people of God to rally around him to do the work. Finally, we see today that implementing vision requires dedication in the adversity. This, this, this part's fun. So you had three people. You had Sanballat, who was the governor of Samaria to the north. You had Tobiah, who ruled the Ammonites to the east. And you had Geshem, who led the Arabs in the south. So you had Israel. Israel's border on the western side by the Mediterranean Sea. So from every direction that was land, there were people who were dedicated to the the instability of the Israelite region. The condition of, of the Jews made no difference to these men. They cared about their people. They cared about their condition. They cared about their purposes. They cared about their agendas. And I have long found that naysayers around the church to be similar. They don't care about the church nearly as much as they care about themselves. They care about getting their way so that their agenda can be accomplished, regardless of the collateral damage it may cause. And unfortunately, because of their last name or their position or the title that they hold or the influence that they have over others, there are times that we allow, uh, as the church, we allow itself, ourselves to be paralyzed from accomplishing the God-given vision that we've been given because of what someone might say or what someone might do or who might leave or who might withhold their tithes and their offerings, which is unbiblical, by the way. And we see these issues that are all part of the created order. Rather than focusing on Jesus, you, you know the story in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is walking out to the, to the disciples who are in the boat, and Peter's like, oh man, I wanna do that. Oh Lord, let me walk out to you. And Jesus says, come to me, Simon. 
Matthew chapter 14, verse 29, it says, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Church, hear me. Because I can say this because at this point you can't fire me. <laughs> um, when we allow the agendas of people, some of them good people, misguided, but when we allow the agendas of people to wreck what God is already doing in our midst, we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and focused on the clamoring wind and thunder and lightning around us. We've taken our eyes off of the creator and put it on the created. When Jesus says, fix your eyes on, the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. These three stooges we see in verse 19 remind the people of the constant, I know, it's okay, you can laugh. Remind the people of the consequences of their actions. He said, would you rebel against the king? You know what that does? That gets you dead. But Nehemiah already had permission from the king to do all of these things. Satan does that, doesn't he? He takes the truth and he twists it. Skews it just a little bit. Matt Chandler once said that, that when we fail to filter our lives through the lens of scripture, we become slaves to that which seems logical. In Genesis chapter three and verse one, Moses writes, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to what he said. He said to Eve, he said, did God actually say you can't eat from the tree? Satan didn't tempt Eve with the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He tempted her with the words, did God actually say? Satan is going to twist things to make them seem like God approves. He just wants us to be happy, etc. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 20, Nehemiah's response is important. He says, he reminded the Jews that the God of heaven will make us prosper, not King Artaxerxes, not his letters, not his influence, the real king, the God of heaven, the one that led them out of Egypt, the one who led them through the desert, the one that led them across the Jordan, the one who gave them the very land their feet stood on. He, God, Jehovah God, would give them their victory. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter six and verse 12, he said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. Church, hear me if you don't hear another thing I say today. Satan is a defeated foe. C.S. Lewis once said that on the back of Satan's neck is a nail-scarred footprint. Jesus is better. And he's victorious already. Satan wants you to think that you can just sit back and be comfortable and pat yourselves on the back for all of the really great work this church has done over the years. And 
Pastor, you've done some great work with this church in 30 years. And I truly believe, without diminishing Pastor Tim's ministry and time here, the best days for Fruit Cove Baptist are ahead of her. But you must be dedicated to the advancement of the cause of Jesus, no matter the consequences. Let's spend our lives working for the kingdom that Jesus is building here, that revival might come here, so that more might be able to partake of the kingdom to come, not just this kingdom but that God's building, but the one to come, the even greater kingdom. Maybe you've never experienced that new life in Christ. Let me tell you, the church isn't perfect, but the God who created it is. And more than anything in this world, he wants you to partake in this kingdom, but you can't get there on your own. You have to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. You have to ask him to forgive you of all the dumb stuff that you've done. Let me tell you, I do dumb stuff every day. And the scripture says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. If you've never trusted Jesus today, if you've never trusted him as Savior, we wanna give you the opportunity to trust him today, to make that decision today. Maybe you've been a guest at Fruit Cove for years and years. Maybe you've been coming here since I was on staff here 10 years ago, I don't know. And you've never signed on that dotted line and made Fruit Cove your home. What a great day to do it. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray and then Pastor Tim's gonna come and he'll be waiting for you down front. As God leads you today, would you be faithful to pray for your church Pray for your pastor search committee. Pray for your next pastor wherever he may be today. Knowing that the God of heaven will make us prosper when we're faithful to him. I love y'all. And it is my privilege to share God's word with you today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. And God, there are days we are just simply not good at this. There are days that we look at the rubble of our lives and we wonder, God, why would you ever want anything to do with us? But you do. And you love us. And you desire us and you pursue us for your glory and for our good. Father, we are privileged to be a part of the kingdom that you're building in Northwest St. John's County. Father, may we not be so consumed with the rubble of things around us, the uncertainty that lies around us. But today, Father, may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who has everything in hand, who is a God of order in the midst of the chaos. For we pray these things in his name today. Amen. Why don't you stand as we sing today? And you come if God's leading you.